Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone, and this special class on death and rebirth. I am joined in these monthly segments by my guest co-host, Robert Rosenthal, MD. If you are unfamiliar with The Course in Miracles, it is a teaching device designed to provide a way to find our own inner teacher and restructure our negative misperceptions to achieve inner peace. The goal of its curriculum is to know thyself for who we truly are. While Christian in statement, the course deals with universal spiritual themes. All are welcome to participate. If you're listening via iTunes, YouTube, or another platform and would like to obtain the list of suggested reading for this segment, visit the show page at blogtalkradio.com slash Charlotte Spicer. My last name is spelled S as in Sam, P as in Peter, I-C-E-R. My co-host, Dr. Bob, was a close personal friend of Bill Seffer, Ph.D., co-scribe of the course, together with Helen Schuckman. He has been a student of the course since its completion prior to being published and has served on the board of directors of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of the course, since 1992. He is a board-certified psychiatrist in private practice near Princeton, New Jersey, and is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. The book interprets the biblical story of Moses and the Exodus to demonstrate the ego's perception of life's conditions and how to escape them. To learn more about the book and Dr. Bob, visit FromPlaguesToMiracles.com. To tune into past segments, visit the convenient archives listed by category on SpiritualInsightsRadio.com. So what of death and rebirth? Death and rebirth lie at the core of Christian theology. Therefore, they color much of our understanding and misunderstanding of God and God's relationship to humankind. Many believe that life begins with conception and that conscious awareness awakens with the first breath. Conception is, however, merely the gateway to facilitate our transition into the third dimension, our chosen parents serving as portals, and our first breath is only the first of many awakenings we will experience. While no one can bypass the final transition that returns us to our source, we can acknowledge one simple truth. Our spirits cannot die, but during this temporary sojourn on this earthly plane of existence, with willingness, our minds can awaken to the truth of ourselves as reflections of the holy light that created us. Today we will attempt to cast a light on the subjects of death and rebirth in the hope that the shadows of our understanding, past experiences, and self-concepts will dissolve into inner peace. We'll get to that in a moment, but first let's welcome Dr. Bob back to the show. How are you, Dr. Bob? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Char. Uh, here in the uh, Northeast, we're finally getting a little dose of spring, much needed, so it feels very much like the start of a rebirth. Good for you. 
And yes, <laughs> the timing is interesting because while the archive of the segment will be eternal, we are coming up on Easter and Passover, so we'll be discussing those as well. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, so what do you have coming up of um, of note for the audience? Well, speaking of Easter and Passover, um, since my book is about Passover, this is often a, a busy time of year. And for anyone who does live in the greater New York area, I will be giving um, a workshop at the Unity Spiritual Center in Asbury, New Jersey. That's right off of uh, I-70, I believe. Um, and um, all are invited. There's a morning service at 10 o'clock. And the topic will be Passover uh, and Easter. And we'll be looking in a lot more um, depth at what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so uh, I believe they have a website, Unity Spiritual Center, Asbury, New Jersey, ASBURY. This is not on the ocean, on the shore. Uh, and then in April, um, I will be doing a, um, a giving a talk at the Rubin Museum of Art in New York. Um, they are devoted to Buddhist art, but they are featuring. Um, a film called Words with Gods that takes a short segment by a different filmmaker on each of a number of different religions. And on April 18th uh, at 6 p.m., they'll be screening a section on Judaism, uh, which it, it, it's, a, it's a different, strange sort of a piece. It's you know maybe 10 minutes long, um, and it's these white-robed figures you know, citing the Hebrew book of Amos from the uh, prophet section um, in Hebrew while this sort of clash between police and demonstrators goes on in the background. And I will um, absolutely be having a few things to say about the film, um, about the Bible in general, and I will be joined by a rabbinical student um, uh, who uh, sounds like he's a pretty interesting fellow who will also be giving his perspective, and uh, it will not be Course in Miracles. Um, it probably will be only tangentially Plagues to Miracles, but it could be a fun event. Um, there happens to be a Course in Miracles conference in New York that weekend, the 17th, 18th, and 19th. So if any of our listeners uh, are planning to attend that conference and want a break, um, what I call uh, now for something completely different interlude, uh, come on down to the Rubin Museum and We'll be glad to have you. Well, and that sounds like a that, lot of fun. Yeah. It, it, as I said, it'll be different, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it will be fun. Oh, I wish I could be there. Yeah, well, it's a it's a haul for you. <laughs> it, it's a bit of a trip, yes, but I will also be at another event. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen, is this year is the 50th anniversary of A Course in Miracles. Of uh, describing of A Course described. in Miracles since it was scribed yeah. by Helen Schuckman and, and Dr. Thetford. And if you are in the Florida area, there will be a special event in Boca Raton on Sunday, April 19th. And anyone who is a student or facilitator of A Course in Miracles is invited. And the, uh, the fee to attend is very inexpensive, and they have also secured um, modestly priced uh, accommodations. And just to tell you about it, uh, it's a bit of a it's a celebration. It will not be conference style. It was put together by Liz Sterling, Joseph J. P. Parsons, and Lynn Turner. They will be hosting it, and they will feature music, inspiration, and celebration. So there will be facilitators um, stepping up to tell their stories. There will be musicians performing, and then um, there will be a second event. The main event 
will be held from 12 noon to 4 p.m., followed by an after-party reception until 6 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. Again, they're very reason reasonably priced. If you would like to participate, simply go to ACIM50.com. That's ACIM50.com. And if you would like to speak or perform, you can get in touch with Lynn. If, um, if you are in the area, I would love to meet you and come and say hi. I will be getting up to speak and telling my story. I really look forward to this event. And I would look forward to meeting any listeners who are able to attend. I think that's going to be great. Yeah, um, since you've mentioned it, this is the um, the 50th anniversary of the start of the scribing of A Course in Miracles in 1965. And in honor of that, the Foundation for Inner Peace is doing a, a little mailing every month with some piece of archival history. We've had two so far. One was a, uh, a short of Helen Shuckman. There are very few um, tapes available of, of her speaking. Um, and uh, the second one was her husband, Louis Shuckman, talking about how he and Helen met. It's a great story. You can get these on the Foundation for Inner Peace website, ACIM.org. Um, but better still, go to the website, sign up, and then they'll automatically be mailed to you um, every month. And I, I know that the, uh, the folks at the Foundation um, are having a lot of fun picking these out uh, in honor of this anniversary. Um, just to be clear, next year will be the 40th anniversary of the publication of the first hardbound edition of the course. Uh, and the first actual publication of the course was uh, is is this this is the 40th anniversary in 1975. Although that really wasn't a publication, it was more uh, Xerox copies thrown together in a soft cover edition. But um, but that does count. It was the first time that A Course in Miracles was taken out of its binders and made available to a wider range of people. Uh, so we are in um, in deep anniversary mode here. <laughs> It sounds like the whole following year is going to be filled with some kind of one celebration or another. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there will be many wonderful um, surprises and gifts for all of us uh, in, in the coming uh, year, year and a half. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, there's something I wanted to mention briefly to the listeners, Dr. Bob. Um, with regard to Facebook, you and I have our pages, oh, and we post yes. our segments on those pages. You post additional thoughts as well. And I, well, we there's not a lot of interaction on my page, but it it kind of disturbed me when I received a message from Facebook that said they've updated the way they measure how many people like your page. Now we're all aware, most of us anyway, that they have changed your um, visibility. Like when you post something, it doesn't reach as many people that like your page. It will only reach a very small audience. So while I don't depend on it. I do put a little bit of time to post each segment, and because of this change, uh, a lot of pages are going to see a decrease in likes after today, and they're going to remove likes from inactive Facebook accounts. Um, so what we'd like to say is Dr. Bob and I will continue to post our thoughts, and, and I like to put on the ACIM weekly thought and different things here and there. But I, I don't devote a whole lot of time to it because I've seen the changes and the adverse effect they've had on the success of the page. So any thoughts on that, Dr. Bob? Dr. Bob, I'm going to um, just keep posting. I, I think this is Facebook's way of uh, forcing people to 
pay advertising fees to get their posts dis disseminated more widely. What I would say is if you're on Facebook and if you're a user, you know, if you see something that Char or I post, please like it, you know, um, post a little comment like this, share it with friends. Um, it'll, it'll keep us, uh, <clears throat> it'll keep us current and it'll, um, prevent the likes from going down. But let's face it, uh, Facebook is not the whole universe and we'll mm -hmm. get the word out. And, um, you know, you can basically rely on this segment on the second Thursday of each month, although next month uh, I will be away, and so we will probably not be doing it next month. But in general, yes, the second Thursday will always be uh, at, at 3 p.m. Eastern time uh, will be devoted to some course and from Plagues to Miracles topic. Okay. So if you'd like to actively follow the pages, if you're a heavy user of Facebook, our pages are from Plagues to Miracles and, of course, Spiritual Insights Radio. So, yes, that is absolutely their intention, is to get people to pay money to boost their, their posts and, yes. and promote their pages, and I will not do it. Yeah. I will not. I'll tell you what, I have done it. I don't think it makes very much difference. The word gets out where it needs to get out. You know, Holy Spirit is still the best publicist. Absolutely, and that's what I trust because I have posted things and met extraordinary people, including yourself, uh, through the page without – anticipating anything like that so yes. like you said the right people will find what they need and will learn what they they need to learn in perfect timing yes so death and rebirth what a huge topic yeah i i I'm, i love this topic because it really um cuts right to the core of what spirituality is all about what religion tries to address and truly the most fundamental dilemmas confronting us as human beings. So um, shall we uh, dive in? I say dive in. <laughs> All right. One of my favorites. So, yeah, death and rebirth. I think let's start with death uh, because it's really the, the, the big secret that um, everyone knows about um, but that never, never gets discussed or looked at. Um, let's start with how the... How, how most of us view death. Uh, most people identify themselves with their physical body. They are their body. They are the thoughts that their brain manufactures. Um, and they go through, they're born into the body uh, with the DNA and genetics from their two parents. Um, and they live life. And at a certain point, we get old enough that we know, uh-oh, people are going to die, we're going to die. I actually distinctly recall what might have been my first kind of um, quasi-spiritual awakening around age seven, lying in bed one night after the lights had gone off, because after all, that's when children do their deepest thinking and fear, fearful thinking, and just being aware, oh my gosh, this all will be gone. I will die someday, and and, and all of my parents and everyone I love will be gone. I mean, it was, it was a devastating thought. Uh, and I didn't have a solution to it at age seven. So from the perspective of the ego mind, death is actually the only sure thing in our world. And yet how ironic that it's such a sure thing and it's so terrifying that we spend all of our time avoiding it, denying it, put our energy putting our energy into um, other endeavors, trying to, um, you know, succeed in business, succeed in romance, succeed in fame, uh, and, and just kind of shoveling death off to the side. When we find out that someone we know has died, 
there's usually sadness, but if that person isn't too close to us, there's often also, let's be candid, uh, a little feeling of, oh, good, thank God it wasn't me, you know. And yet we do know that sooner or later in the fullness of time, even if you live to be 100, this body is going to die. The ego identified with the body will die with the body. And on the one hand, this strikes us and our egos as terrifying. Um, on the other hand, and this is a perspective from A Course in Miracles that's a little bit harder to grasp, the ego is very attracted to death. Death, in fact, sits at the cornerstone of the ego's whole philosophical system because death proves to us that we are finite. In a sense, death is the, the conclusive proof, the uh, QED, and I don't recall what that stands for in Latin, but I know in a geometry class it comes at the end of a proof. There it is. Um, death is the ultimate proof that, 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 that God is not all-powerful, that God is finite, perhaps even that God is dead or that God doesn't exist. If you subscribe to the ego's perspective, then it probably makes sense. The only rational um, approach would be to be an atheist. Uh, because let's ask ourselves, what kind of a god would in fact create death? If you ask people, um, what is God? You know, they'll give you the attributes, all-knowing, all-wise, um, oneness. But the one thing that most people will say about God is, oh, well, you know, God is love. And I'm, I'm currently working on a book about this that um, pretty much demonstrates, I think, that, that God can't be anything else but love. Um, it's, it's the only thing in our world that really isn't explainable as a body or as separate beings. But if God is love, what kind of a loving being would create this fearful thing where you end? You know, yes, we're going to let you live a short time, and maybe if you're a very good person doing good deeds, we'll let you live longer. And yet every one of us knows that a lot of very good people die young. Um, this would have to be a very callous, very capricious being, this God, um, kind of like the, uh, the three fates of Greek myth who, who spin the thread of life and, you know, and then the last one snips it uh, to end the life at, at whatever point. Um, this is not a God that inspires love. And if God is love, then how can death be a part of love? Think of it this way. If God is all there is, and I think most people would agree, you know, what, what could there be outside of God that doesn't then make God limited? If God, by definition, is unlimited, then God has to be everything. So if God is love, then love has to be everything. Therefore, what is not God, what is not love, what is not part of that oneness cannot be real. And this is where A Course in Miracles comes in, in in such a lovely way and says, that's exactly right. The entire world that we inhabit, the world of the ego, the world of the ego mind, um, our sense of self that is so identified with a physical body that under the best of circumstances is going to get old and age and die, um, this cannot be a part of God. Therefore, it's an illusion. And right away, we build a bridge to all of the Eastern systems of thought, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, you know, that say, yes, we're, we're trapped in an illusion, and the goal is to wake up from this illusion. 
early in A Course in Miracles, it states, uh, and I believe this was actually um, borrowed from Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, um, the Course states that the Bible tells us that Adam fell into a deep sleep, but nowhere does it say that he woke up. Uh, in other words, Adam, the progenitor of all human beings, went into a dream, and we're all still living that dream. And it's a dream, the centerpiece of which is the idea of death. We can't continue to exist forever as, 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 as limited beings in a body. Now, if you believe or have experience that God is love and that you are um, love as well, then we can almost turn this around and, 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 and follow me here because this is very interesting. It's almost like we weave this web of illusion, this dream that we fall into and don't know how to get out of. Um, and then what do we do? Um, we try to keep any aspect of reality at bay. We don't look at the um, we don't look at love as as being everything. We we create a past and a future rather than realizing that the only moment we have is the present moment. Uh, we really are living in eternity. The present moment is eternity. But we push these things away. We try to protect our, our little cocoon world from God. Uh, and death does this very, very, very well. Death is that fearful thing that says, you know, you better just stick with uh, what you know. You better scrap out of living in this world. If you don't feel good, you better go to the doctor uh, and get it taken care of because your, your days are, are really limited. And yet, flipped around, what it's saying is you can't keep God out. Just as love comes into the world, just as the present moment is all there is, the death of the body inevitably reinstates the reality of spirit. And this is where, you know, you can go online and look up near-death experiences or read books by Ken Ring and Raymond Moody, and you hear people describing wonderful things that happen in those after-death realms. Um, Eben Alexander's Proof of Heaven is uh, another um, good one, very popular because he's a neurosurgeon and his brain was clinically dead, so his experiences can't just be hallucinatory byproducts of a of, a, of an oxygen-starved brain. So we have all of these experiences. But here's the thing. Um, let's not get confused and believe that death is liberation. Death is not liberation. When we get to those other dimensional realms, the fact that some part of, of our brain and being is attached here, that there are things we want, there are things that we uh, are averse to, this pulls us back in, and as the Buddhists would say, it perpetuates the endless cycle of, of death and rebirth. Um, here's a way to think of it. You're in a life, and let's say you're um, a helpless child, and you get beaten by your parents, and you get beaten by your peers, and at some point you die. And in those other worldly realms, you say, yeah, Love is great, but, you know, I was really beaten up there. I want to come back as a really strong, 
strong, tall man, and I want to know what that's like. And sure enough, you come back as a really strong, tall man, um, and you get conscripted into the army, uh, and you go to fight a battle, and as tall and as strong as you are, someone shoots an arrow through your chest or blows your head off with a gun, and you come back to the other dimensions, and you go, wow, that didn't work out like I thought. I think next time I want to come back as a monk, and I... And we can go around and around this cycle, being drawn into these attachments, when what we really need to do, the only purpose of the the, the after-death worlds is ultimately to craft um, an existence here where we wake up. Death isn't release, enlightenment is release, waking up Mm. is release, and that can only be uh, accomplished here. The near-death experiences are wonderful because they help to decrease our fear of death our fear really that we're going to be annihilated and if god created us then obviously it's it's god who's annihilating us now um a course in miracles takes the concept of death uh and really sort of um plies it for all it's worth because it makes the point and and again this is this is subtle but but important that anything in this world that we live in that is not completely joyous completely loving, completely light-filled, anything that's not that is a form of death. So depression is a form of death. Mm -hmm. Anger is a form of death. Um, Lack and scarcity is a form of death. Now, why are these forms of death? I mean, you know, we think of death as an absolute ending. These things aren't absolute endings. Well, it's a form of death because it speaks to the fact that God and God's love is limited, that God can't reach us here in the um, charnel prison house of physicality, that we have done such a great job of blocking him, her, it out, that, um, that we actually are more powerful than God. And this is what the ego wants you to believe. This is what our egos cherish and thrive on, as crazy as it is, and it is pretty darn insane, that we are pow- more powerful than God, and death is the proof of that. So, Really, the path is not to deny the death of the body. Um, that's not a terribly noble or useful way to to go. Um, it's really a very primitive uh, me- defense mechanism. Really, it's to recognize that your body is not you, that the body um, is is just a temporary vehicle, which if we use it to reach out to our brothers and sisters, if we use it as the Course, uh, as the Course in Miracles says, if we use it as a communication device to align our interests with others, if we realize that we're all in this mess together and that the only way out is to exit all of us together, um, then we're using the body properly and we begin to have more and more experiences that show us that we are not a physical body that we're more than a physical body, that in fact, as the Course says, I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. Very, very powerful notion there. I'm still as God created me. Now, the Bible, of course, turns this on its ear, as everything in physical reality does, and says, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I think I'm a body, so therefore God must be a body, and now we think of God as, you know, a giant uh, old man and with a white beard in the sky, you know, <clears throat> who's shooting lightning and judging us. No, 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 no. That's us creating God in our image. 
um, or as the course as a course in miracles would say that's us attempting to bring truth into the world of illusion rather than bringing our illusions to truth where they can um, disappear so as you go through as you walk your spiritual path and as you recognize increasingly <clears throat> that minds are joined um, as you have experiences of synchronicity um, and 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 see that your interests and the interests of your fellow human beings you know really are the same we all want to be happy we all want to remember that we're love sure we all want survival and on this planet of scarce resources we think survival means you know dog eat dog going after someone else to get ours um but if we just shift and see ourselves all as mind and in fact all as one mind then what's good for Shar is good for me, and what's good for you is good for me, and, and we all walk forward together. Now, turning to the holidays coming up, Easter and Passover, each of these holidays gives um, a seemingly very different rendition of the idea of death and rebirth, and yet I think they're, they're beautifully complementary. Um, they address different aspects in, in different ways. And, of course, Easter grows out of Passover. Um, many people believe that the Last Supper was, in fact, a Passover Seder. Um, some people say that it wasn't. I'm not going to weigh in on that one. Um, but the core message of Easter, Easter begins with Palm Sunday when um, Jesus rode into Jerusalem it ends with, uh, well, it goes to Good Friday, the day of the crucifixion, uh, and then three days later, Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Now, most, most practicing Christians have been taught to focus on the crucifixion as the essence of Easter, even though when you ask, they know better. The resurrection is what it's all about. But it's very hard to make a symbol of resurrection and wear it around your neck. Um, it's very, it, and, it, and it doesn't compel people the way the glaring, gory crucifixion compels people. So the common understanding of Easter is, and, 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 and you know, what I'm about to tell you would be considered pure heresy by the Catholic Church uh, and by many churches. But the core message of Easter is Jesus was the only Son of God. He came in as a special dispensation to us miserable sinners and died in this horrible way to atone for our sins. And to the extent that we can somehow believe in him, and I'm not even sure what believing in him means in that regard, believe that, that this is what he did, we're absolved from sin. And yet, um, we don't see a lot of people reaching enlightenment, being resurrected. Um, there are some healings um, performed in Jesus' name, and I certainly would not um, doubt that. But the message of Easter becomes very heavily focused on the crucifixion. A Course in Miracles, which was scribed by the consciousness that was Jesus, although it's not the historical Jesus, it's the risen Jesus as the Christ, um, the scribe of A Course in Miracles says, no, no, guys, you got it all wrong. I wasn't punished because you were bad, um, and the message is not the focus on crucifixion. I was just trying to give you all a very glaring demonstration of just how impermanent and unimportant the body is, and that, in fact, what was important is that, yes, look, I'm still here three days later, that they could do all these things to my physical body, and it doesn't affect or impact the real me in any way. In fact, it allowed the teachings to spread and grow. Um, had Jesus 
stuck around and become a wise old rabbi, uh, who knows whether Christianity would be in the shape it is today. In fact, after Jesus' death, his brother James really took on the, the, the position as head of that fledgling church. And, uh, I mean, even the Apostle Paul was called back to Jerusalem to answer to James. And yet when the Romans came and utterly destroyed Jerusalem, they killed James and every, you know, that, that would have been the end of Christianity. But because Christianity became an idea, the idea of the resurrection, the idea of permanent life, it really couldn't be killed with any one person. Um, this is the beauty uh, of ideas, as, as the Course tells us. So Easter... Rather than being celebrated as this this time of you know gnashing of teeth and wringing of hands and then oh my gosh a joyous celebration at the end, really just demonstrates that we all go through life believing that we're crucified in some way shape or form whether it's your bad boss, um, you know your spouse who doesn't understand you, um, the fact that you're underpaid, the fact that you're ill and don't understand why whatever it is, any unhappiness. Anything that the Course says is a form of death is also our own personal, private crucifixion. And what are we supposed to do with that? Well, do we linger in it? No. We're supposed to transcend it and recognize that these, these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that besiege us in the physical world, um, the suffering that the Buddhist that the Buddha called dukkha in his first noble truth and said was inevitable in this world of illusion, um, that these are not really us. These are not reality. This is not our real identity. And that there is something real there, and we can find it if we begin to peel away all of this other stuff. That's the message of Easter. So Easter gives a very personal pathway for recognizing I am not a body, I am free, um, I am still as... God created me. Passover comes at it from a very different perspective. Passover, as I go into great detail in my book, um, From Plagues to Miracles, Passover looks at a collective consciousness that is the Hebrew people, the chosen people. But if seen as a parable, we are all the chosen people because God has made a covenant, a promise to all of us that we will wake up. We can't stay asleep and dreaming forever. It's, it's simply not possible. And in fact, A Course in Miracles tells us we've all already woken up, that the one instant that represented this, this ripping out from the fabric of oneness of God, this, this, this tiny mad idea at which we remembered not to laugh, as the Course puts it, that this instant took place in an instant, was instantly addressed by God, um, and was gone, over, done, never even happened. There can be no interruption to the seamless oneness of love that is God. But to those of us who kind of fell into the, uh, the illusion, um, you know, we're, we're, we're still seeing it. It's like we've got this afterimage burned into our brains. We're hearing echoes. And, and so it seems to take time for us to work our way out of, of the illusion. So Passover looks at this collective and says, you are the chosen people. You are all um, Hebrews. And it's interesting. The origin of the word Hebrew is Iparu, which means wanderer. 
Um, and it's interpreted historically that they were a wandering tribe of nomads. No wonder they wanted a home in the promised land. But at a metaphysical level, at a spiritual level, aren't we wanderers? We've wandered away from the oneness of our true being um, into this world of illusion and form and physicality, and we wander through this world trying to find peace, trying to find something that will allow us to have permanent happiness. And of course we fail because that's not a part of this physical world. You, you know, you can't go into a dangerous part of town and expect that you're going to find peace there. You have to go into the right part of town to find peace. And the right part of town is our true identity with God um, and oneness. So Exodus comes at this from the perspective of here's a people enslaved in a land that is not their own, the land of Egypt, under a tyrant that has forced them into hard labor and slavery. Now, I would argue that's a very good description of physical reality. Sure, it has some good moments. I'm sure at the end of the day, when you've been hauling bricks and making mortar paste, uh, that, you know, when you have that first sip of water, it feels pretty good. Um, but let's face it, it's not what any of us would choose for our children or our loved ones. So we wander into this world of, of slavery, and we don't know how to get out. And at some point... Well, actually, the moment we wander in in the book of Exodus, Exodus, you know, the, the first chapter describes the Hebrews becoming enslaved. The second chapter describes Moses' birth. I, I think that's a very important juxtaposition. The moment we wander into slavery, the agent of our release is born. However, we <laughs> cannot embrace that agent of release until we see that we want out. And so at the end of chapter 2 of Exodus, the Hebrews realize they're suffering, they cry out to God, and that's when, um, indeed, Moses sort of wakes up to his mission, um, encounters the burning bush, and the rest is biblical history. So what Exodus is telling us is that we have to wake up to our condition, uh, and then uh, we have to go and confront the agent of slavery, the agent of enslavement, which is Pharaoh. When we do this, what happens is that we, we begin to recognize the split that is in the mind. That is to say, there is nothing keeping us in slavery but our own minds. Pharaoh is not really outside of us. Pharaoh is not the man out there forcing you to, you know, tote that line. Pharaoh is in your own head. Pharaoh is your ego. Pharaoh is the part of you that thinks that you're more powerful than God and that somehow you're going to find a way out of this suffering on your own. And, oh, by the way, you're really not because seeking and suffering is all that the ego knows. But Moses, the way out, is also part of your mind. Um, the part of you that is God can't lose sight of its godliness because that is its essence. You know, you can take shining beautiful gold and you can cover it with mud you can bury it in ore but it still remains gold you can't change its essence you are that gold therefore you've got these two parts of your mind and all that's necessary is purification the ten plagues are that process of purification um, where they're the way in which ego is separated from essence from moses from god um, and to the extent that we resist, we get more plagues, we suffer. And finally, and this is where death comes into the picture, I hadn't forgotten about death. Um, finally, in the 10th, God wreaks upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh 
the death of their firstborns. Now, before I talk about that, I want to, just as Easter goes from the crucifixion to the resurrection, the Passover holiday really starts with um, the plagues, um, but really goes through the crossing of the Red Sea, so that the release from Egypt kind of has these two faces. Um, there are the ten plagues culminating in the tenth plague, the death of all Egyptian firstborns, and then there's the crossing of the Red Sea where Pharaoh himself dies. So why is this? What is this order about? Well, in the, the death of the firstborns, if ego and Pharaoh are the same, then what this is telling us is all of the children of ego, all of its works, its treasures, its loves, they're all going to perish. I don't care how many billions of dollars you make, when you die, when you leave your body, they're not yours anymore. Um, I don't care how many museums you build, at some point um, they're going to change their name. I mean, here in New York, uh, part of uh, Lincoln Center, uh, Avery Fisher Hall is now getting renamed Geffen Hall for David Geffen. Why? Because he's giving more money than Avery Fisher gave back whenever uh, the place was first built. Impermanence, as the Buddha tells us, is part and parcel of the ego's world. Um, even your children, you know, think about your grandparents. Think about their grandparents. How much do you know about them? Maybe you've got a few lines in a Bible genealogy. We'd like to have our memories live on, but they don't. They're finite. Um, you can write a great novel. Um, you can write the plays of Shakespeare. Those might live on, but, you know, who you are it's doomed to die. So the firstborns of Pharaoh, uh, of ego, must die. And as they die, we are birthed into, um, into our first sense of freedom. And I talk about this in more detail in From Plagues to Miracles. I'm not going to go into it a lot here, except to say that this is the release that then when we cross the Red Sea, um, there's the symbolic rebirth. You know, there's a narrow canal through waters, very much like the birth canal. Um, mm -hmm. We pass through and we take on a new identity. Um, crossing bodies of water is always very symbolic of a major change in uh, the Greek mythology. You know, they cross the river Styx to go from the state of living to dying. Well, here's the exact opposite. We cross from slavery and an identity as beings enslaved to our ego minds and trying to fulfill their mission to beings that are now on track to meet God on the mountain where God lives as as um, as the Bible tells us um, you know to be to be priests uh, a kingdom of priests that is we're all supposed to have a direct experience of God so Exodus um, in a sense looks at, at, at the death rebirth cycle in, in a very different way um, that, that kind of says you're constantly freeing yourself from the constraints, the chains of slavery and the ego slavery, um, that, that this isn't a one fell swoop process, that look at any place where you're enslaved, you know, a, a bad relationship, a bad job, or even just um, I work with a lot of people with obsessive-compulsive thinking. Their thoughts drive them crazy. That is slavery. And to the extent that you are able to recognize that, say, I don't want that, and, 
and release it to higher power, your basic 12-step process. All addictions uh, are forms of slavery and follow this process. To the extent that you're doing that, you're walking the Exodus path, and you are being reborn. So we, we constantly move towards spirit. But in the final picture, the ultimate rebirth is not turning into something new. It's actually going back to our first birth, which was not a birth at all. It was our creation as God created us, the son of God, the offspring of God, that which is of the same essence as God. A Course in Miracles tells us ideas leave not their source. That is to say, you know, a part of the mind can't split itself off and separate itself. If you're an idea of God, you're always an idea of God. You're in God's mind, and you are a part of God's mind. That was your first birth. And so rebirth is simply the process of letting go of all of the obstacles to, as the Course puts it, the awareness of love's presence, the awareness of God, stripping all of that away so that you come back to your essence, yourself as God created you, our self, our collective oneness, the Hebrew people, the oneness of, of that unity um, as God created us. And for a while, we live here in the promised land because um, death is not the end of that. And it's not about being killed in order to move on. But at some point, we simply shed the body. There's a lovely passage uh, at the very end of the Song of Prayer, Forgiveness and Healing, that talks about this is what death should be. It's a quiet recognition that your work is done uh, and that you sort of slip out of the physical body the way um, a snake uh, slips out of its uh, skin. That's my metaphor, not the courses. Um, but, but at some point, yeah, the work is done, and you don't need to carry this body. Now, from the outside, that looks like death, but to the being who is leaving it's not death at all. It's just remembering who you are and who you were all the time. So the rebirth is not a rebirth of the physical body. And religions that promote this, um, you know, it, it's just kind of, it's a little bit nonsensical. I mean, what is so wonderful about the body? Uh, the body suffers. The body has pain. Okay, you've got a perfect body that doesn't have any of that in heaven. You're still limited. You're still seeing other people as different than you. Um, and, and that sense of difference alone is a separation from the oneness of God. So, no, that's not what it's about. It's not taking the physical body with you. It's recognizing that the physical body has nothing to do with who you are and awakening from that dream of Adam to your original reality. And death then is gone. There is no death. Um, it, it can't be. And, I, and at that point, my understanding is that, no, you are freed from the cycle of samsara, of birth and redeath, of rebirth and death, and, uh, and the cycle of incarnations, if you um, subscribe to that. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing to come back here for. Um, the Course would put it that you probably become a teacher of teachers, and that there's just this presence, uh, what the Buddhists would call the bodhisattvas, that are here to help free the rest of us. Um, Judaism has a concept called tikkun olam that I've spoken about many times and I wrote about in the uh, January-February issue of Holy Encounter, that we are all fragments of the oneness of God and the task of, of healing on the planet is to reunite those fragments. So that's what we do. We reunite ourselves, but we reunite ourselves with everyone else. And in that reunion, re-union, death is gone. We conquer death. Um, it's not a personal resurrection. It's a collective resurrection. 
Um, so I realize I've been um, going on here for perhaps longer than usual, although we did start a little longer, but I'm going to um, pause for breath and um, turn it over to you, Char, while I um, take a sip of water. And okay. love to hear your thoughts. And if there are any questions out there, um, be very happy to answer those. Okay, yes. And if you do have a question, uh, you can dial 347-934-0751 while we're live. Uh, I just have a few thoughts. Everything you said was very thorough, concise, and complete. Um, I just want to say that, you know, you had said in the beginning, you know, all the forms of death, whether be it sadness, depression, fear, anxiety, doubt, all these different forms of death, which create little deaths of the ego. And when we're in pain like that, that is like a tunnel that takes us to God. It, it pushes us toward God. It doesn't feel that way to many of us. But that I do believe in my heart that that is the process we undergo, as dark as it is. We just have to invite the light in. But with regard to the value of spiritual practice in our lives, no matter the, te the teacher that you choose to learn from, be it A Course in Miracles, um, a specific religion, um, yoga, whatever spiritual discipline or practice you embrace, the the idea in practicing these things, either uh, singularly or collectively in, in, in more than one way, it's to relinquish the ego and embrace the kingdom of heaven within. As Dr. Bob was saying earlier, you know, with the ego's identification is with the body, with the thoughts that we have, with the self-image, our desires, our attachments, and, as he so clearly stated, our mortality, even at the age of seven. And I, that reminded me, Dr. Bob, I remember um, the day I, I don't know that I was seven or, or what, but I remember the day that I realized mommy was going to die someday. And yes. I got myself so worked up, I cried myself to sleep at at such a young age at something that wouldn't happen for decades. But someday she's going to die, and that that idea of separation that I would lose my mom had me so upset. So I kind of set out on this, um, I, I took an oath that I would be my mother's best friend. You know what I mean? Mm. So, But that was so clearly stated. I want to add that, you know, when we come here, there is a certain process um, by which, before we're born, what we know is placed in the unconscious mind, and we can't access it as readily, which adds more value to spiritual practice such as meditation and silence and stillness. The intellect can stretch to learn new things, but the true goal in being here is to remember what we already know and forgot long ago. And you have a passage in From Plagues to Miracles that I'd like to read, and that is in Chapter 10. Crossing the Red Sea, Birth into Freedom, and it's on page 131. And you state, when we come into freedom, we don't add to our self-concept. We simplify, we streamline, we offload old stories, beliefs, and roles because they no longer fit. We don't need them any longer. We're comfortable with just being without the ego trappings. And I think that encapsulates the whole idea of, you know, so why are we here? We're here to do that. Yes, our yes. ego forms at a young age, but for the rest of our lives, it seems we go through these little deaths of the ego and allow pieces of ourselves that do not support our highest good, that do not support our soul purpose, begin to crack and break away and fall away. And we call that growth. 
And as painful as that is, I always say no growth on this planet cannot be accompanied by some form of discomfort. So when we take that discomfort, bless it, and use that as the springboard for enlightenment, we'll get a lot further. And like you said, our days are limited, all of us. But if that's, and that is the case, but why not make the most of your time and improve the true quality of your life by, why not express your willingness to embrace enlightenment and allow these changes to occur so that you can really change your mind and experience the kind of life your soul wants to experience without picking and choosing your likes and dislikes and your preferences from the ego, which is only focused on death and fear. That's my question. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, sort of the beauty. If we see death as the ultimate, uh, you know, kind of undercutting of all ego goals that, you know, all ego firstborns die, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then then indeed the fact that our days are limited should really, uh, you know, focus our concentration on the spiritual path rather than trying to get things that you know you aren't going to be able to keep. You know, it's like trying to, you know, pick up water and hold it and carry it through your whole life. No, it's, it, it's going to, you know, fall through your fingers. So at a certain age, I, I, I think this is partly why it's, it's more difficult to um, work a, a very deep spiritual path when we're young, because we do still believe that, that the, uh, the world will have some wonderful things to offer us in ways that are fantasies. Um, I mean, relationships in my book are the best thing on the planet. They are what it's all about. But when we're young, those relationships are more fantasies. And I still work with people in their 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, who are getting divorced, who, who, you know, will say, well, you know, is is this person really the one? And I just kind of look at them and go, the one? I mean, that that's an ego, an adolescent fantasy that you're going to meet one person who's going to make your life absolutely perfect. A relationship is your partner for the path who you travel with and talk with and fight with and work with, and but who ultimately helps you to discover your true being and you're trying to help them. But so, I mean, I think there's some saying, you know, the prospect of death remarkably concentrates the mind that they talk about a hang, you know people who are being hung or whatever but i i think it when we know that we are finite in physical reality you are absolutely correct char it it pushes us to open to that greater reality um and uh and i, I and i also like what you said you know when the a course in miracles talks about death taking many forms in anything that is that is not love is some kind of a correlate or derivative of death. Um, yeah, this is why we go through um, hardships and suffering uh, because because you know we we don't yet grasp the oneness, uh, the fullness of love. And to use the metaphor of the book of Exodus, our ego minds will experience plagues in order to grow. Because any place where we're attached to something that's not real, where we're worshiping an idol, so to speak, um, where we're trying to bring um, truth into our illusion and endorse it, um, isn't this, you know, this path is the right path and that path is the wrong path and we're making judgments. Any of those places are going to create plagues and that's why the world is so full of misery. Because mm-hmm. it's it's an us versus them zero sum game. Either I win and you lose, or you win and I lose. 
um, dance of separate bodies, separate selves, separate interests, separate uh, corporations, separate families, clans, countries, you name it. Um, and, and, and in such a world, there can't be peace. The idea um, that we can have, you know, peace among conflicting egos is is, is ludicrous. I like to say, um, you know, it's it's like wishing for sanity in the uh, psych ward. Uh, it, it's not possible. On the other hand, to the extent that we each go inward and work our spiritual path and discover that greater identity and that 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 is that identity is identical for all of us. Um, to that extent, yeah, the world becomes a place of peace because how can you do to someone else uh, something negative when you know that they're really you? Um, you know, why would I want anyone to suffer, even a Hitler, even a Stalin, even take, you know, your, the ISIS or uh, Boko mm -hmm. Haram, take the worst examples here. These are beings that are deep in suffering. Otherwise, they couldn't even begin to commit the acts they're doing. I agree. Do I help them out of suffering by inflicting more suffering on them? Do I help the world by taking their suffering and their rage and importing it into my mind and getting furious back at them? Um, no. All we're doing is, is spreading the virus that way. No, we heal the suffering by seeing what it hooks in us and dealing with that and then being compassionate. Now, being compassionate doesn't mean we approve of it, doesn't mean we send the money, um, but it means that we understand that, 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 that it's a non-zero-sum game, that, it's a, that a rising truly floats all of our ships and that we want everyone ultimately in some lifetime to awaken to the reality of love's presence, which is all they are. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. It's um, the, the way the ego works and the effect it can have on those who are trapped in its clutches, and especially after lifetimes of darkness and generational um, conditioning and that sort of thing. I, I pray every day that, that some kind of crack will form, that light can get through, and somebody will say, well, you know what, this is, um, we shouldn't be doing this. When... Mm. When that um, that one, well, I don't know what the word is, a faction of the terrorist group went into that school and murdered the students, mm. um, and and the principal, and you know, or the principal got away. But when I saw that, and then the newscaster said that even Al Qaeda in another country denounced the actions of that section of the terrorist group. Yeah. I laughed, and, you know, I was asked, well, what's funny? And I said, it's almost like saying, dude, kill who you want. Kill everybody you want. But going into a school and doing that, all right, now you're crossing the line. It, the line is in perceiving your brother as the enemy. Yes, exactly. Not in any action that follows that one thought. The line is in perceiving the separation between you and your brother or sister simply because of a religious belief or the clothes you wear or your Western thinking. It's ludicrous. That is where they're going wrong. What can we do about it? We can shine light on them in God's honor and, and say and pray that they start to feel that. And then we can bring about change. The Course says starts with us. And 
when we grant that to other people, it is through them that we extend it. So that's the process. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? I mean, and for someone, maybe their guidance will be to, you know, raise money or do something more direct. Um, but I think the main thing is to recognize that as a source of fear, to recognize that we now live in an age with a media that can broadcast fear 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week, and that there is this drumbeat of fear, and that at the deepest spiritual level, it is designed to keep you fearful of death and enraged at uh, this, this state of slavery, but not to try to escape from it. Um, mm. And let's face it, folks, all through human history, this kind of stuff has been going on. I suspect that you don't have to go back too many hundreds of years to where this was going on in most towns. And, and you know, and this is why families form clans to protect themselves. This was not a very happy planet to live on. Um, we probably live in the very best of times where where we can, at least in this country and in most of, uh, you know, uh, the first world, walk out on the streets safely, trust that nobody's going to knife us or rape us or, uh, or you know, or our, our, our loved ones, um, pursue our happiness. You know, that line in the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, the, the, the right to, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that was a radical spiritual idea. Uh -huh. um, but the pursuit of happiness is a spiritual pursuit. You're not going to find it in the uh, ego's uh, Egypt. Um, but, but, yeah, so um, the work is inner work. The outer, the Course tells us, is, is a reflection of the inner. You know, projection makes perception. We take the pain and suffering, uh, the, the, the fear inside of us that we cannot tolerate, and it gets projected outward in this big bang and creates this whole world of perception that, that then becomes a giant feedback loop to tell us, okay, here's how we're thinking. And you know what? As you get more peaceful, the world does get more peaceful. It, does. it won't be a place of complete peace, but the relationships around you, the, 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 the paths that you walk, absolutely get more peaceful. Uh, and I would, you know, I, I, I would stand by that and challenge anyone who would say other, otherwise. Uh, mm -hmm. If they're saying otherwise, they haven't done the walk, because as you get more peaceful, your immediate world gets more peaceful. And it this does. is indeed how we overcome, uh, you know, death and suffering. Absolutely. And just to add to, you know, with regard to government and politics, you know, yes, we all have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And there are groups of people um, who who don't have all of that. People can't marry who they want to marry in many states still. Um, there is uh, inequalities on various levels, and that needs to be improved upon. But just to reiterate what we're saying is, you know, that that change would start with us. And then we would see those changes in the laws that are written, in the amendments that are written, in in the in the bans on things that are reversed. And this is how we must do it. We cannot use force. We this cannot be a struggle. It must be an awakening like we were saying in the beginning. It's got to be an awakening. It's got to be a blossoming. And then we will see outside of us the changes that we've made inside. But um, yes. we're almost out of time. There are anything you wanted to add? I, I wanted to add one thing that in um, Chapter 20, The Vision of Holiness, the first section, cons um, discusses mm. in depth Holy the Holy Week. Week. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And so that is very interesting reading. I will add that to the list that we provided for suggestive reading. Um, yeah. Um, if if you, I mean, the other section that I think uh, it, it doesn't deal directly with Easter in the way that the uh, that chapter does, that mm -hmm. section of that chapter, but also in the manual for teachers, section 23, uh, which I think is, you know, does Jesus have a role in healing, talks about the historical Jesus, Jesus as the Christ and his relationship to um to you and and so that might also um you know be a, a nice reading for anyone who is um you know going to be celebrating uh the easter holiday mm -hmm. and that's section 23 yeah okay and then again section 27 is what is death so that's very telling too right well we have that already in the reading <laughs> yeah we do mm-hmm uh, but but I didn't state it out loud. I normally do, but my introduction was rather lengthy. Um, well, we're just about out of time. Would you like to just right. go to the prayer, and I will connect with you. Um, enjoy your time. Yes, at and just a reminder, I'm not going to be able to do this in April, um, but mm -hmm. we will absolutely take it up again in May. Perfect. Okay. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we will uh, rejoin in May, and... Um, Feel free to send in your feedback as you wish. Our prayer today is taken from the workbook for students, Lesson 163, which states, There is no death. The Son of God is free. This prayer appears at the end of this lesson, and it is as follows. Our Father, bless our eyes today. We are your messengers, and we would look upon the glorious reflection of your love, which shines in everything. We live and move in you alone. We are not separate from your eternal life. There is no death, for death is not your will. And we abide where you have placed us, in the life we share with you and with all living things, to be like you and part of you forever. We accept your thoughts as ours, and our will is one with yours eternally. Amen. Amen. Until next time, everyone, God bless and be at peace.